Well, and welcome to people at home, and welcome to little Benjamin, who's here for the first time. Um, Jared said you've had a good run of teaching up to this point, so sorry. All good things must come to an end. We're going to talk about uh, the subject of Christians being in conflict. And that might seem like a bit of an oxymoron. Aren't Christians supposed to be united? Aren't we supposed to be in harmony? Isn't love supposed to be the identifying mark of Christians? All of that is extremely true. What Jesus had in mind, he expressed to his Father in his last prayer in John chapter 17. And he said this. He said, I'm asking for those who believe in me, that's you guys, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you've given me, I've given to them, so that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so the world may know that you sent me and that you loved them just as you love me. That's what Jesus had in mind for our church. That's why he left the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is here to bring that unity. There is a unity that already exists among all Christians because the Holy Spirit lives inside us. But over time, that Holy Spirit is supposed to change us and mould us into the kind of people that Jesus wants us to be. And that's a work in progress. We are a building site. Uh, Paul put it this way when he wrote to the Ephesians. He said that Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far away. That's us, peace to those who are near the Jews. For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. So then they're no longer strangers and foreigners, but are fellow citizens with the saints and are God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus, the cornerstone, um, and in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in which you're also being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. A little later, in, um, later on in Ephesians, when he talks about the gifts given to the church, he said, they're given until such time as we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we're a building site. We're growing together. We're being built. Not quite built yet. We're being built. I don't know if you know much of the history. Many of you do. Many of you have been Christians for a long time. So I can talk to you as the initiated and say... You will know that when Solomon's temple was built, unlike most building sites, there was no noise when that temple was being erected. The Bible tells us that it wasn't the sound of an axe or a hammer or a saw. Now, if I was to ask Daryl a building site whether that's usual for a building site, I'm sure he'd say, no, there's usually a lot of noise going on there. Why was that? It was because when they quarried the stone far away, all the chiseling and the hammering and the soaring was done there. So then those blocks were transported to Jerusalem and then they were just fitted into place. They perfectly fit. Each block perfectly fitted next to the other. Well, that's a good analogy for the way in which our lives are here as Christians on this earth. We are blocks of various shapes that are fitted together into this habitation of God. And some of us have got a lot that needs to be hammered off or sawed off, and that's done right here. And you might have noticed it's done through teaching from God's word and we get, we get changed and things, things get knocked off us. It's done through our reading of God's word and we read something and it's a mirror to us and we change the way we are. 
God moulds us through his Holy Spirit. We get it through other people. And sometimes it's done through conflict as well. That conflict can be a way to actually chisel bits off us that are sticking out. And we've got two blocks that might rub up against each other. And sometimes that rubbing is the conflict. But the, the conflict can actually be the opening door to change and to, to developing in us the kind of character that God wants for us. So for those, um, in fact, there's a definition of conflict. Conflict, uh, this is probably important to start with, conflict is a difference in opinion or purpose that frustrates a, a person's goals or desires. Now this not, might not be relevant to this audience, so can you put your hand up if you've ever been in conflict with anyone at any time? I'll be looking for, Jane has never been in conflict. Well, I have some memories of those teenage years, which I'll talk to her about later. Okay, the, uh, for those who are getting married, a bit of encouragement here from the Family Life website. It says, there is no way to avoid conflict in your marriage. There is no way to avoid conflict in your marriage. That's true of all relationships. Why, what, in, in a marriage particularly, what, why is there conflict in marriage? Because you've got two people coming together with different opinions and different ideas and a different background. Now you might notice that when you're on your own and you're just hanging around home or doing something else, no conflict. Perfect. You can have a beautifully perfect non-conflicted day and you wonder, if I just had someone exactly like me, life would be bliss, but then another person comes on the scene, suddenly there's conflict. Uh, marriage is like that often because opposites attract and so you often find the gregarious person marries the person who's, who's a bit more retiring. The parsimonious person marries the generous person. Now, this is all very lovely and very attractive in that other person but when they've been married for a while it can cause conflict because there are limited resources maybe of time or money. How are we going to spend that? Well again the definition of conflict, different ideas, different opinions uh, push up against each other and it's always been the case. Um, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Uh, um, we're not privy to the conversations that Adam and Eve had outside the garden, but I'm assuming there was quite a bit of conflict as to whose fault it was that they were in the position they were. Cain and Abel, a bit more drastic. Esau and Jacob, lots of rivalry. The patriarchs, we know their story. Well, imagine we are a church, and the church globally is a place where God has brought people together from every people and nation and tribe and tongue. So the opportunity for conflict is magnified exponential, isn't it? Because we've got personality differences. We've got theological differences. We've got cultural differences. We've got different maturity levels within a church. And we have different expectations of how each other should, should be. So I want us to think about conflict. Conflict is normally something that uh, perhaps in the, in the wider world we see as something to avoid. And, and something to dodge, but I want us to think about conflict as being a healthy thing. Why healthy? Because it helps us examine ourselves. If no one ever said to you, hey, do you think you're doing the right thing? If no one ever said, do you notice yeah, you always um, eat with your mouth open? Uh, our behaviour would never change, would it? So what conflict does is it allows us to, to examine ourselves. For most people, you know, if you're Donald Trump, it probably doesn't help. But for most people, when someone criticises you, it makes you think about, is that a valid criticism? And so we're, we're caused to examine, to ourselves, examine ourselves. We're also exposed to the ideas of others. 
So we've grown up, we've got a certain view, and we know it might be a cultural view, a theological view, a household view, whatever it is, which is the correct view. Then someone comes along and challenges that. And we have to ask, well, is this, is this a valid opinion? Is this a valid idea? And we open ourselves up to other people's ideas and the validity of those. It causes us to modify our behaviour, or it might cause us to modify our expectations. So maybe our expectations are very high and we find after we've clashed a number of times with a number of different people, maybe it's not them. Maybe it's not the whole world that's out of step with Johnny. Maybe Johnny's out of step with the world and we have to lower our expectations to a more reasonable level. So the good news is that conflict always provides an opportunity to glorify God. I wonder if we've ever thought of conflict in that way. Conflict always provides an opportunity to glorify God. Haven't got a lot of time to go into all the ways that we can do that, but just think about a few of them. When you come into a conflict situation, especially one that's very difficult, I'm not saying and I won't say that in any conflict situation you can come to an agreeable position in the end. Everyone's happy and we move on. That's not always the case. Some people have very difficult situations they deal with for their entire lives. But what it does teach us, conflict, is it teaches us to trust in a God, a sovereign God, who we can commit all injustice, if it is injustice, that we can commit all injustice to God. The promise is that God will repay, that God will sort those things out in the end. So God is glorified when we trust him. We say, I don't know any way out of this situation. I've done everything I can, but now I'm going to trust and I'm going to leave it to, to you. We have opportunity to obey God. So we obey his word, we obey the way, it may be countercultural to the way we've grown up or how we feel, but we obey God, that honours God. Because we say, even though this goes against every fibre of my being, this is your word, I'm going to obey it. We have opportunity to imitate Jesus as he lived here and went through lots of conflicts, lots of trials. And we get to acknowledge that we don't know all things and we trust God. So conflict is an opportunity. Conflict can be a very healthy thing. But it's not easy. It's evident from the scriptures. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I appeal to you, brothers, that you agree and there be no divisions among you. You can imagine him just imploring them because he sees there are divisions among them that he can do nothing about. I implore you, think about the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about what he wants for our church. Think about who he is. And then uh, later he said, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Because there's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Eager to maintain the unity. That's what he wants for us, an eagerness. So how do we deal with conflict? Uh, this is really just a, a, a taster because half an hour is not long enough to go <laughs> to deal with how we deal with conflict in every way. I'm just going to go through some basic principles, but I do want to commend to you a book which was it's fantastic. It's called The Peacemaker by Ken Sand. There's a lot more than half an hour's information in there, but you'll find if you if you look through that book from every perspective how conflict arises, what conflict is, what God's purpose is, how we deal with various situations, secular situations, Christian situations. 
but Christian principles and how to do that. It's 1995 at Kurong at the moment on special. So I advise you, if you're in a conflict situation, especially if it's been long-standing, get a book like that, read through it, check the Bible references, pray, and let's, uh, let's really get at whatever it is that's uh, conflicting people in this place. So how do you deal with conflict? Well, first I think we need to establish two principles. Firstly, and I need your affirmation to this, are we agreed that God knows the best about human relationships? I don't want to, mm, I want a yes, are we? Yes. And do we believe the Bible is the word of God? Okay. So what that means is we, we affirm those things, but what it means is that then we can put aside those cultural taboos or the way things have always been done in our family or the way we've seen conflict dealt with growing up. And we're going to say, well, let's look at what the Bible says about how to deal with conflict in the confidence that God knows us better than anybody else and that God's principles are the correct ones. So it enables us, to, we have a different set of tools maybe to, to maybe what you've seen in the workplace or in other families. So often you'll see when it comes to conflict in a worldly situation where people have no understanding of, of God is they use things like aggression. So if you're consistently aggressive and you're stronger than the other person, the conflict will eventually die down because the other person, one person's going to buckle and then they're going to go down. So that's one way of dealing with conflict. You can talk to lots of other people. So you've got a problem with someone in the office and you tell everybody what they're like and, and then that person probably notices when they walk in the room, everyone looks at them slightly askance because you deal with it by getting rid of the pressure, you talk to other people. Uh, you can do it by denial. Some people just denial it and, and I've, I think it was George Clooney I heard not so long ago on the radio say, if I have negative people around me, I just, I just drop them. I don't want negative people in my life. Well, sometimes God puts people around us because there's something that needs correcting in our life and it might appear to be negative because they're saying, they're saying hey, you're heading on the, the wrong course. So we can do that, we can go in denial or we can, just, we can just leave and some people leave. They leave the workplace because it's not suiting them. They leave the home because it's not suiting them. They leave the marriage because it's not suiting them. They leave the church because it, it doesn't suit them and there's conflict. Um, so the first thing I would say is in terms of dealing with conflict, not one size fits all. You might not deal with your husband who never changes the, the toilet roll when it runs out. That might be a different situation and how you deal with that conflict because he's doing it all the time with the husband that says that he's committed infidelity. They're, they're very different things, aren't they? There's a scale in which we, we want to look at those things. So some things are, are small and some things merit just simple forgiveness. Proverbs 19.11 says this. It says, A man's discretion makes him slow to anger. It's his glory to overlook a transgression. A harsh word now and then, sometimes you can, you can just forgive that and just say, look, they've had a hard day today. It's not actually me they're annoyed at. They're annoyed because you know, they just spilt the gravy or whatever it is. But we can have empathy for the other person. And as Christians, we've got more reason for that than anyone else, haven't we? that Jesus Christ gave his life to forgive us of all sorts of sins. And if we only stop for a moment to think about the things that we do in the day, we have a lot more um, forgiveness for others. Jesus makes it even more important because in the Lord's Prayer he said, if you forgive other people their trespasses, then your Father will forgive yours. And if you, if you don't forgive other people, then your Father will not forgive your, your offences. So it's a case of, you know, where does this sit? In the hierarchy of sin, 
how big is this thing? Um, I thought there was a really good quotation. Again, it comes from this book in terms of overlooking offences. It says, overlooking offences is appropriate under two conditions. First, the offence should not have created a wall between you and the other person or caused you to feel different toward him or her for more than a short period of time. So it's momentary, yeah, you can overlook it. If this is something that's going on week after week after week and you find there's a barrier between you and somebody else here in this church and you really don't want to sit next to them and you really don't want to have a, have a coffee if they're serving coffee, then that's not a situation of overlooking offences. That's one where you, you really want to deal with it because you want to reconcile with that person. Second, the offence should not be causing serious harm to God's reputation, to others or to the offender. So you might know a situation where a Christian a person that claims to be a Christian is living in an ungodly way that's, that's known to other people and, and you think this is incredibly bad for God's reputation and I can't just walk by and I can't just overlook it, that's, that's got to be dealt with, that's important. Well they could be harming someone else, could be members of their family, could be members in the workplace, could be a marriage partner or whatever or it could be damaging the offender themselves and you think there's a person that's probably never been spoken to. They're damaging themselves. You can see them drifting away from other people in the church or drifting away from God. I can't walk away from that. I can't just overlook that and forget it. Because this is part of that global idea of Christ, isn't it? Christ is bringing us together as a community. He wants us to look after each other. Not to live as the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the good, well, not the good Samaritan, but the guys who walk by on the side of the road. But we're to be the person that care for each other, even if it involves an element of risk because we, we're going to get involved in a, a conflict. So overlooking isn't a passive process. We might think, oh yeah, just forget about that. Uh, but often people who say that, yeah, I'll just forget about that, but it's filed away for later use. And when an argument comes six months or a year later, it all comes out again. Overlooking is actually an active process. It's a process that's inspired by God's mercy through the gospel and we appreciate all that Christ has done and the mercy that he has shown to us. And we recognise that that, doesn't, that didn't stop at us, but actually Christ's mercy flows to every person, including this person that's close to me and I'm, I'm in conflict with. And we decide not to talk about it, not to dwell on it, not to think about it. That can be quite difficult, but that is what overlooking is. It's not a simple process, but it's an active process. And we, we, we just demand that it not grow into something bigger than what it is. If you can't let go of offence in that way, and that will account for a lot of things, if it's far too serious to overlook, uh, it might be a, a much more serious than, you know, someone throwing their tea bag in the kitchen sink. Uh, if it's something serious to overlook, or if it's a pattern, so it's not just once that they've blown the top, but they're doing it day after day after day, and it's affecting you and it's affecting them, then it's time to do something else. And again, we agreed that God knows best about how to deal with these situations and that the Bible is God's word. So let's see what Jesus said uh, in relation to this. It's in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15. He said, Now if your brother sins... Go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. So there's a situation. Your brother has sinned. There's conflict. Uh, Jesus says, go, go and talk to him. 
and if it all works out well, if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Again, there's another situation he has in view in, in Matthew chapter 5. So it's a slightly different situation from a different aspect. So therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, and you'll know that Old Testament situation is that you took your, whatever it was, your grain or your animal, you took it to the priest at the temple, and then he checked it over, and then if it was okay, he sacrificed it to God. So, well, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, and there you remember your brother had something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. That's not a, a unique um, understanding of the Old Testament. The New Testament, in our home group, we've been reading through First John. And a lot of that is about this relationship that we have horizontally with God and, or, and vertically, or the other way around, uh, vertically with our brothers and sisters. Peter talks about it. He says, look, if, you, if you're in marriage, if you don't treat her well, your prayers are going to be hindered. There's a relationship be between how we treat our brothers and sisters and our relationship with God. It can, and it can be hindered. In John, he says, if you can't love your brother who you have seen, how can you love your God who you haven't seen. So you notice in both of those occasions who the onus is on. So you've got a problem with someone, you go and sort it out. But then if you're at home daydreaming and you realise or you're in this place and you see someone give you the cold shoulder, you know someone's got something against you, whose onus is it? Wait for them to finally get up the courage to come and say something to you? No, your onus is to go and talk to them. Why? Because the whole theme of this is reconciliation, gaining your brother. It's not about <clears throat> who comes first. It's, there's no hierarchy involved. It's about the Holy Spirit's activity in this place. It's about being a place of unity and harmony. And the, shortest, the shortcut to that, the quickest way to that, is the way that God would have us deal with it. Now, I don't know about you, but that kind of idea kind of smacks of confrontation. It's a bit uncomfortable. I find, actually find the first one not so bad. I find the second one, I always revert uh, to Proverbs 33, 7. Let sleeping dogs lie. You know, why, why stir up something if it's not already there? Of course, there's a problem with that, that Proverbs 33, 7 doesn't exist. Let sleeping dogs lie is, is just an aphorism. It's just a truism. But not in this case, because Jesus said, if you know somebody's got something against you, go and talk to that person. Be reconciled to them. So how do we do that? There's a couple of different ways. First, if you're going to do that, first talk to someone else. And, and think of it now. You might have a situation now. You're thinking, you might, yeah, I do have a problem with that person. Um, I'm not sure whether I can overlook it yet, but, but maybe it's bigger than that. Maybe it's going on for a while. First thing you should do is talk to someone else. And that someone's God. You need to pray to God. And you need to say, God, you love this church. I love this church. I love what Jesus has done. I, the, the blood of Jesus amazes me that it cleanses of all sin. I've got an issue with this person. Is it my issue or is it their issue? Is it something I should talk to them about? Tell me. Talk to me. And if it is, I want you now, Father, to be working in the heart of that other person. Because if it is a situation that is, there is a bit of a barrier between me and them, I'm going to talk to them. And I want you to prepare the circumstances so that when I go to see them, 
uh, it will have a good, good result. Lots of examples of that in the Bible, you know, relationship between Jacob and Esau. Jacob coming back through into Canaan had to meet up with Esau again. God arranged the circumstances. And so much better situation than that he ever imagined. Remember, in the first place, he's sending ahead the, the animals and the people he's not so worried about just in case they get killed. Uh, maybe he'll be left behind, leave his favourite wife behind. Joseph and his brothers, God arranged the circumstances, didn't he? And you know, what would those brothers have expected from Joseph after all those years? They get a huge surprise and it can be the same with, our, with, with ours. Pray that God would sort the circumstances out. And then check our attitude. Why am, I, why am I going to talk to this person? Is it because I want vindication? I want them to finally admit what I've known for a long time. I want them to finally admit their faults. I want vengeance. They shouldn't get away with that. It's about time there's a bit of just desserts. Well, again, notice from Scripture that what the emphasis is, gaining your brother. Reconciliation. I used to often say this to the guys who were working for me, um, often young guys, and they'd be dealing with clients. Some clients are lovely and some are really difficult to deal with. And some are just picky. And if you're young and your ego gets involved, then it ends up being a, a barrier between you and them. And I always used to say to them, we win if we keep the customer. So whatever it is, if it's, whatever it is that we can do to make, to make that relationship better, let's do it. Don't worry about how you feel inside or you feel you've been slighted or disrespected or whatever. Just think about what the end game is. And it's the same here. We think about gaining a brother and sister. We think about restored relationship, exactly what Jesus Christ would have for us. The third thing to do is look in the mirror as we look at it, how we dress for this meeting. Just check, check your eye. Check there's not a log in that eye before you go out because it would make it quite difficult to examine the splinter in the other person's eye. Sometimes uh, it's, it's possible in a situation that's built up for so long we only see the bad in that person. We only see their bad quality and we only see our good. We're the, the righteous rider riding on a white horse. But a little bit of self-examination may help us see what our own faults are, what our own uh, black spots are, the things that we can't see. And so we go in a spirit of humility. It makes for a very different situation. If I was to go and see Andrew Glover, for example, let's say I have a confrontation with Andrew Glover, there's a couple of ways I could do it. In fact, I might do it now. I could go up to Andrew and say, Andrew, I want to I catch up with you, buddy. I am sick and tired of the way when we're having elders' meetings, you just talk right over me. <laughs> like, I, I know how you feel. You think you're that high and mighty above me. And what I have to say is of absolutely no consequence. So I think we really need to have a talk about it because it's obviously not good. And I don't like the way that you park in my car park <laughs> when I come. Absol same disrespect, same way of seeing you treating your family and your employees. I could do it that way. And that, that is, that works in some way. I feel a lot better about <laughs> venting those things. But if I've done the things that I've spoken about, or if I've prayed to God and I've thought about who Andrew is, it's a great example, in fact, in, in Philippians. It says there's a, an argument. There's a couple of people that didn't get on. Euodia and Syntyche, they don't get on. And Paul says, I want you to, he says to somebody, and we don't know who it is, this amazing what you learn about the Bible, he says, I want you to sort it out between those two people. I want you to help them get over it, basically. All sorts of theories, this is 
digressing totally, but all sorts of theories about who this is. Who's, the, who's he asking? Is it Paul's wife? Is it one of the husbands of the, of the women? Is actually the word yoke fellow, is it actually a Greek name? So he's actually saying you, uh, whatever his name is, you sort it out. But anyway, so he's saying to people, he's saying to someone, you help those two out. So there's room for that too. To, to an issue in the church, somebody come and help them. But then Paul goes on to say, he doesn't give them chapter and verse of how to do it. He just says, concentrate on these good things, whatever's pure, whatever's righteous, whatever's just, and so on. And you think about that situation with those two or with Andrew and I, when you think about, if I was to start to think about, I'm going to see Andrew now. Andrew's a shocker because he parks in my car space and he talks over me, but he's a darn good husband. He's always doing things for people. He's a very hospitable person. He loves God more than anything else. He desires to share the good news with others. The more you dwell on those good and righteous and perfect things, suddenly that huge thing uh, about Andrew suddenly diminishes in size. And when I recognise my own faults, it will just diminish even more. So after I've prayed and I've thought about the log in my own eye, I could, I could come to Andrew in a different way and say, Andy, do you reckon we can catch up for a coffee next week? That'd be great. And in the, in the course of that conversation, say, Andy, I so respect you uh, as, as a person, as a father and as a Christian, but there's something, there's something between us. It's niggling me and I don't want that to get in the way of our relationship because I value it too much. And I don't know, you may not have noticed, but, but when we're in an elders meeting and when I say something, you, you talk over the top of me. And that makes me feel that I'm less than or I've got nothing of value. So I wanted, I wanted to bring it to you. And so as we come in a spirit of humility and as we come in a spirit of love towards the other person and as we come with the spirit of the object being to break down that, that thing that's, that's only this big now, but could be that big in a month's time or that big as I add more and more things to the list, then we have an opportunity. And this is, this is Jesus' idea. This is God's idea that we come and we, we meet together. So when you go, here's a few practical things. When you go, stick to one issue at a time. Don't, don't stack up a series of complaints. So you go, yeah, I don't like this, but hey, I've got 10 other things. And when they've got an answer to that, and if Andrew says, oh yeah, look, I'm sorry, I'll speak over Yeah, but what about the car park? And what about the fact, I didn't like the way you spoke to Elizabeth the other day, and I didn't like the way, whatever. Stick to one thing at a time. Uh, second is pro focus on the problem, not the person. You, don't say, you always do this. You never do this. Just talk about that one issue. What is this problem? The problem is Andrew is speaking over me. If I can solve that problem, then I, I diminish, or if I can understand him better. Thirdly is, or I don't know what it's thirdly, but focus on behaviour rather than character. We're saying or in this situation that I've used, the behaviour is something that I find objectionable. But that's not his character. I don't have to assassinate his character. Oh, Andrew, you're the person that's like that. You're just that kind of person. You're always talking over other person. You're always taking the first place. You're always disregarding others. That's not the case. Above all, focus on facts rather than judging motives. Ever judged anyone's motive? Yeah, I know exactly. I know exactly why he said that. I know exactly why he stood over there. I know exactly why he said that. Oh, yeah, if you read the words, they sound fine, but I know. I know exactly why. Never judge motives, because we don't know. 
God knows what the, mo what the motives are. You're far better if you're going to impute a motive, impute a good motive. I'm sure he didn't really notice that. I'm sure he, he, he probably didn't really know that. Above all, focus on understanding. It's not like, if we're going to meet up with someone, it's not like tennis where we're trying to get a point. Oh, I scored one there, I aced him there. The object is to get that person over to the other side, of, on our side of the net. That's what it's about. The steps um, don't end there. In fact, the, the whole focus of Scripture is around the same thing. When it's talking about these issues of conflict, the words are used constantly. Help, restore, save, forgive. Remember the purpose for why we're here as a church is to work together and to love one another and to care for one another. And conflict can be a very divisive thing. And people can leave churches or leave marriages, leave all sorts of situations because they can't deal with conflict in a healthy way. And if you learn how to do it, if you learn how to do it in a friendship or a marriage or a church, it will last a lifetime. To change the analogy, I was thinking about bricks and I've seen um, Daryl lay a few bricks. But you know, sometimes you, you've got a, a brick and, and it's got a, you know, a lump on the side of it. You've got a couple of options, haven't you? You can either knock it off to make it square or if it's too difficult, you just add a bit of mortar in there. And then the two bricks can come together. Mortar is love. If we can show love to our brothers and sisters, sometimes in those conflicted situations, we just allow them a, a bit more. And sometimes forgiveness will do that. Just allow them a bit more. Throw a bit more mortar in there so we're not rubbing up against each other. And sometimes it just takes um, a discussion. It takes coming to see someone face to face. You know, Jesus said, One, just, just go and see them. Why is that? It's because you don't want the situation to escalate. If you've gained your brother, you've solved the problem. You don't need 10 other people to know that and get involved and they say, yeah, I feel exactly this way about Andrew. I'm glad you mentioned that because he does the same to me. That, that, that's not going to aid unity in, in the church, is it? So Jesus said, and again, it's God's word, just go and see you and them alone. There's a whole load of uh, other steps that go on there. Uh, he said, if, if they don't listen to you, so, so let's say it's a serious issue. And the person has a fault that is affecting others, affecting God, and we need to talk to them. And we talk to them, they go, I don't care. Uh, you know, that's your opinion. Well, Jesus said there's a step beyond that, and that is to take someone else. Take a mature Christian, along someone probably who knows you both together, someone who's impartial, to just say, listen, Andrew, I know you think this is only Paul's opinion. I've listened to both of you. Do you think you're being... A little unreasonable in that. Have you, have you thought about the wider picture? Have you thought about the church? Have you thought about how Paul might feel? And so taking two people or three people along can sometimes help a person or, or you know a person who's living the wrong way in terms of their Christian life and it's affecting God. To have somebody else come along that's a mature Christian that they respect to say you are walking in the wrong way. I know it seems right, I know it seems uh, the, the, the right kind of course but it's not and here's why and let me show you from the scriptures. There's a few others after that. We can uh, tell it to the church. Uh, and, and really, again, I just recommend to you, you can't be, I can't be exhaustive. But when I went through and I, I had written my outline and then looked back at here, I was thinking, well, all that stuff that I couldn't fit in, all that stuff I've missed, that's a great point. I couldn't put it in. Have a look at the peacemaker. And if you have an issue with someone, if you're a person here in this place that has an issue with someone now, sort it out. Sort it out in a biblical way. Start praying right now for God to, to sort that 
situation out, to arrange the circumstances, to change you and to change them. I'm going to finish with uh, just a, a reading from Philippians. You might like to look at it with me in Philippians chapter 2. This is the same book that has to do with those uh, Christians, uh, those two Christian sisters in Philippians 4 that are having problems, Euodia and Syntyche. But a little early on in Philippians chapter 2, we get Paul talking to a church uh, who he knows is, has division, has conflict. And this is what he chooses to say. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing for selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let me pray. Father, we couldn't have been left a greater example than your son who humbled himself on a cross and was highly exalted. We thank you that he gave his life for our church to cleanse us, to change us, to build us into a building fit for the reception of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father, and I thank you that this place here is filled with your spirit, that individuals here are filled with your spirit. And your spirit will be clamouring to us to make things right, to reconcile. If there's an issue, whether it's five minutes ago or 50 years ago, that we could deal with those things. I thank you, Father, for the godly wisdom that you give us in your word that sometimes goes against everything that we, we think we should do. And we'd love to avoid a situation, but you ask us to go out and embrace it. I thank you that you give us a pattern for how to deal healthily with conflict. And those situations are sometimes very, very difficult. So, Father, I pray for each individual here that we, all of us, would just imbibe your spirit, would, it, would it imbibe your whole feeling about uh, the brotherhood, that we would see each other, not just as individuals coming into this place and sitting somewhere close to each other, but as brothers and sisters who we love and care for and belong to. I pray, Father, that if there's any division here, that it would disappear. I pray that if there's uh, issues that can be forgiven quickly, that they be forgiven quickly, that there is glory in the forgiveness of transgressions. I pray we'll see a lot of glory here as people forget those small things. I pray that as we concentra concentrate on what's pure and right, um, that, we can see other people, uh, that we can see other people in a better light, that we can see ourselves uh, as we truly are and as you see us and see the glory and the mercy and the, the grace which you've bestowed on us and that we're able to share that with others. 
Father, most of all, I pray that you would make us a people fit for your purpose. I pray that we would be people that people outside would come in and say, well, look, the Spirit of God is here. I see humility. I see, um, I see healthy conflict. I see people solving their problems. I see people caring about whether they're out of fellowship with each other. And I pray that all glory will go to you through Jesus Christ. Amen.